Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Caitlin Larimore. Caitlin is an actress who's currently starring on NBC's new show Heartbeat, which you can watch Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Caitlin, I ask everyone this right at the top. Tell me what initially got you into acting in the first place. Oh, uh, I feel like it's kind of been a lifelong thing. Like We had a fireplace in my house. I recall very vividly using beach towels as a curtain and crawling outside of them and putting on, I'm sure, nonsensical plays for sometimes no one, even <laughs> often my mom. Uh, and then my mom took us to, I was, I was exposed to theater a lot. I think as a kid, we went to the Nutcracker, which is, I guess, more ballet, but, um, also I would go see musicals and things. So I think when I was young, it just seemed kind of, I was very fascinated and loved the storytelling happening. And I just wanted to be a part of it. Where did you grow up? Probably where I started. I grew up in Oregon. So when you say you saw the Nutcracker, you saw the Portland version of the Nutcracker. Yes. Is there, is that a very strong distinction? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if the Portland style of Nutcracker is different from the New York style or if it's just the same everywhere. I don't know. Well, it rains throughout the entire ballet. So that's probably, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> You're a kid in Portland. This is obviously, you know, before Portland has has become a mainstay on television with Portlandia and a few other shows that, that are set there. How does a kid in Portland approach even approach becoming an actress? Where does that, how does it go from a recreation to a career for you? Over a very long, long process. And it is funny that Portland is very different now than it was even when I, I've been in LA about five, six years. And even in the last five years, it's, it's really changed. But, um, you know, I did, I did theater all through high school and it was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make a career of this from high school. I mean, I did, though. I think around 11 is where I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, you kind of get hooked into something, you become really passionate about it, and you just like, yes, this is what I want to do. No real understanding of how hard it's going to be later. Um, and then I uh, went to the University of Portland and did, got a degree in theater and received some great training there. And that's where I think I started taking it more seriously in terms of... Uh, really pushing myself to take it, you know, to learn how to do it in a very professional sense. And then once I graduated, I spent two years in Portland, which is a much bigger scene now, but it's still very, in comparison to like New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, it's still a relatively small pond. And so I spent two years working there. And uh, once I became SAG in Portland, I moved to Los Angeles. So it's kind of an incremental process, but it's a lot of learning and piecing it together. But I, I liked the film scene in Portland. It was fun. You said that you, you didn't anticipate how hard it would be. What are some of the hardest parts? <laughs> uh, man, where do you start? I mean, I think any creative career, it's not like, I don't think any career is hard for the most part, but um, unless you're like an ice cream tester or something. But uh, it's I a bad job acting, though if you're if you have lactose problems. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. I suppose you you know you can find the bad thing about just about any job. But uh, I think for any creative career, there's no straight trajectory, and 
that in itself, I think, is hard because especially if you do higher education, a lot of times you come out with debt and then you don't really have uh, a job where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be an actor. So I'm going to start as a as a new actor and then I'll work my way up and see if my pay will be here and I'll pay off my loans. It's like, well, welcome to the world. Here's a restaurant job for you. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> and I think it's it's difficult to try and navigate and figure out how to make those connections, how to move, how to find jobs that keep you afloat in terms of keeping a roof over your head and, you know, food on the table, but also staying flexible that you can explore the creative career and build something that you want to do. And I think it's a really tough balance in figuring out how to survive and at the same time pursue what you actually are trying to pursue. And I think that's maybe the hardest part and that's super vague, but that's what I was confronted with is figuring out how to keep myself alive and also want to build something. Because I think when you're starting out, often those jobs don't pay very well or much or anything. And you have to kind of build your resume with those jobs at the beginning. A lot of the actors who have come on the show have talked about sort of suffering from delusions of grandeur when they were first breaking in. That notion that when, you know, you move to New York or to Los Angeles and you're first going to like, oh, well, within six months, I'll clearly be a series regular and I'll get Mm -hmm. a show that's going to last 100 episodes. And then after that, I'll transition into film and all along the way, I'll be doing Broadway just on the side and winning awards and making millions. Did you suffer from that as well? Um, Maybe not not quite to that level because um, I, I think I understood that it was going to be difficult because I'd already been told, no, I'm, I'm fairly tall for a woman. And I still, I already had dealt with certain things where even in college, it was like, Oh, you're too tall to be an actress or all. Oh, and I was like, what? That's ridiculous. Um, so I, I had dealt with some level of rejection. I think most people do it even on a small scale. I did with the Portland thing because it's a small pond I definitely did suffer from the, I showed up in Los Angeles after being, a, you know, I wasn't like the biggest actor in Portland by any stretch, but I did work and I, I supported myself as an actor in Portland. So when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, all right, everybody, I'm here. Hello, you're welcome. I showed up. <laughs> so that, I think, is what I suffered from. I, I And I think I was kidding myself thinking that, like, oh, I know this is going to be hard. But in the back of my head, I was like, but I mean, I'm great. So here I am. And then I just totally got pushed down the, you know, metaphorical stairs. And I was like, oh, this is different. This is great. But I mean, it's a good learning experience. I think it's, a, it's I'm really happy I went through that because now I'm so grateful for anything that that I am given. It's, I, I'm very, I cherish it. When you were getting pushed down the stairs, were you thinking maybe, maybe I should do something else? Or was it always, I'm still in here. This is why I'm here. And this is what I want to do. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> and I think the first couple years, because I mean, it was a couple years. I don't think, I think you're supposed to be like, oh, everything's great. And I'm very successful. But uh, the honest part of it is that I spent a couple years here struggling very, very hard. And it took a lot of struggle and a lot of stair falling for me to finally accept that and think about it for the first time, because I really dug my heels in and I was like, I'm not a quitter. 
I am a hard worker. I'm going to do this. I don't care how, how long it takes me. And I think, I can't say what moment it was, but I do remember there was a moment where I laid on my bed and it was probably after like a horrible restaurant shift and not working as an actor for probably months. And I, I, and I really thought about it and I was like, well, this is what I've wanted to do for since I was 11. I have a degree in it. I'm in debt for it. And I'm sitting here smelling like French fries as a <laughs> late 20 something, you know, and it just, it doesn't make you, you know, it takes your ego. You can't, and, you know, your ego just gets super bruised, which I think sometimes it's good. Um, but yeah, I definitely considered, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't going to be going to happen for me. And maybe I'm one of those people that moves here and doesn't make it. What does that look like? And Oddly enough, once I kind of wrapped my head around that and opened myself up to, well, what are other things I feel I'm good at and that I like to do? And I can always act as a hobby. doesn't mean I have to never ask because I love it. But maybe as a career, I focus on writing or, I, you know, also an equally hard path. But apparently I like that. Um, things started opening up for me. I think it's because maybe the desperation got dialed down to normal instead of crazy. <laughs> Cause I was like, okay, there are other options out here. And then I don't know, maybe I just calmed down a bit and people are like, Oh, look, she's normal ish. Not really. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> writing for a little bit because before you got heartbeat, you were writing and starring in your own web series. You also wrote a short uh, film as well. And I'm curious because a lot of the actresses, some of the actors too, but a lot of the actresses in particular have talked about picking up writing just for the sake of getting themselves apart. Were you some? Mm -hmm. Were you someone that was always interested in writing as a separate piece, or is it was it that case of you felt like you wanted to get on camera and writing your own script was the best way to do that at that time? I think probably mine was more. I was always interested in writing, and so they kind of my my interests were married. Because even when I was in, uh, even actually even in high school, now that I think about it, I was writing one act plays and putting them up, and in college I would write my own monologues for auditions or for we did this acting competition. I wrote my own stuff um, for that. So I think mine is more, I've always found writing as an outlet. And sometimes I wonder if maybe that was my true passion, but then I was able to do something with the writing with acting. So I think, but then I think I started producing so much stuff. I mean, there are a lot of things with the web show and my short film because I needed, I wanted to give myself a job because it's like, you can't always wait for people to hand you a job. You sometimes you just have to create the work yourself. But I do think I've, I've always really liked writing. So it's kind of a dual, dual bonus. Is that something you, you still want to pursue? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do it. Well, say every day. I'm not quite that diligent. I really want to be that diligent, but definitely on a weekly basis, I'm writing and I have way too many either, half finished or half started different projects and all sorts of different realms that are some of, a lot of them involve the film world, like screenplays, but I do have like a children's book and another book thing. And I, I you know, and I'm just, it's one of those things where I'm like, I think I have too many things and I need to just focus on one, but I do, I write often. Does being a regular on a show allow you to write more or less? I want to say 
more, but actually probably less because when we were shooting, I think I was very, and my, my part is, is pretty small on the show. So I, I didn't have near the workload that a lot of the other um, wonderful actors on the show had. So I think if I had maybe been a li- not as distracted, I was just so excited to be there that I couldn't quite make myself focus on anything else, <laughs> especially like, you know, because you have hours sometimes on set to sit. Um, it would have been nice if I had that, if I used that time, but I was just kind of too like wide-eyed and excited. <laughs> so I think depending on how motivated and focused you are, it can give you more time. But uh, for me, it gave me less <laughs> Well, let's talk about Heartbeat for a little bit. How did this part actually come to be for you? This part, uh, well, I auditioned for it. And I think I was called in because they were casting, I think, a bit of a wide net for my character because she's tall. And, you know, she's like a, a, a little more rare of a casting quality is looking for a, a six-footer above woman. And so I, I had to I put myself on tape and they called me in for it. And um, I think originally this part was, I didn't have any lines when I was first cast. It was just kind of like an unspeaking potential reoccurring role, but it could have just been for one episode if, you know, depending on what they decided to do with it. But um, they ended up giving me a line for the first episode I shot, which was episode two. And then from there, they just started writing me more stuff and it kind of slowly organically arose over time. And I I just, I don't know, I felt extremely lucky that they kept bringing me back. Well, that's a nice way to get on a show too. It's you start as sort of a guest star and then a part evolves. Uh, I imagine going that route, you you did not have to participate in like network testing or any of that stuff. Well, yeah, that was the thing I kept when I was talking to some of the other actors who were involved in the pilot and then the show, you know, I just hearing their long process. I just sometimes was like, Whoa, in some ways I was really glad I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> because I, it, it, they shot the pilot. I think of the previous March and they shot it in Canada. And then they had to wait however many months to find out if the show got greenlit. And that, you know, and that's just the nature of the business. But I came in episode two, once the show was greenlit, it was going, it was rolling, you know, I auditioned, I read for it, I didn't, it was like a very standard audition, I didn't have to go through a very rigorous vetting process, it just kind of naturally happened off set, I think, because when they gave me my first line, and it was kind of on the spot, I, I, in my mind, I did think like, this is your real audition right now, and I, I kind of was aware of it, that if I blew it, that would probably be the end of my speaking on the show. And then if I didn't blow it, then maybe I'd get another chance again. And it would just kind of build, which that's ended up being what happened. But I remember being absolutely horrified when they gave me that line. I was excited, but I also, like, I, it was like instant sweaty balls. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm going <laughs> to this. This is happening. Pilot season is such a, a chaotic experience. What was that experience like for you before this? Um, before it, it was pretty spotty. I just, you know, I, I wasn't going out for, it's not like I was going in for series regular, you know, potential pilot stuff like that. I was more in for stuff like what I went in for the show. And I just got extraordinarily lucky that they kept bringing me back to be part of the show. But I wasn't quite at the, 
level or had the representation that was getting me into those types of auditions where I was being considered for series regulars on pilot. That's tough. So you're not only you're out there and when all the shows are getting cast, it's sort of you feel a little left out of the loop then because you're not really going after the parts that you may want. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like most uh, kind of on the, the, I don't know, I won't say green because I've definitely been acting a long time, but on the, on the that end of things of actors in L.A. and New York, I think a lot of people can relate to that. But until you're given that quote-unquote break, it doesn't even have to be a big break, but some sort of someone gives you a real shot like I was given on this show, you're kind of like you feel like, there's a big fish bowl and then there's a, a bowl on the outside of it, like a moat. And you're in the moat just being like, Hey, hey guys, hey, I'm a fish. Can I come in? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's hard too, because you know, some people don't go in. Some people are talented and, and have a look and then everything is working for them, except they just don't get that break. So to get it, I think is huge for anyone that's, that's on television or on film. It's like getting that initial chance is, is, uh, is still a big deal for anyone. Absolutely. And that's, I think, why when I talk about how I started in Los Angeles, I'm kind of grateful now. I mean, I wasn't grateful at the time, but I am grateful now that I did have to struggle so hard. I mean, I'm still struggling. It's not like everything is sunshine and buttercups right now, but I do feel like I have so much more opportunity and I and things are like, I feel like I'm an actual actor now, like a working actor versus being where I was a couple of years ago, where you do feel very much like I have, I'm trained, I feel like I have something to offer, but I just can't, nobody will, will give me an opportunity. So it's very hard. And I think that's true for a lot of people trying to do the same thing. Do you feel that you have, as you've got more experience, do you feel like you've changed the way you've auditioned at all? Do you feel like there's a difference between your early auditions compared to how you audition now? Oh, definitely. Like I, I definitely think in the beginning, I know when I first came to Los Angeles, and probably actually I, I like to think about the auditions right outside of college, where you think you're trying so hard to do everything right, you know, in the quote-unquote right sense. You know, it's like the difference of showing up just, you know, like you look nice and you're put together, but you're kind of comfortable Versus like you're all buttoned up and like super dressed up and ready to go. And you're sitting out there 30 minutes early with your hands in your lap. I think I I was that person at the beginning. Where I was just <laughs> so uber nerdily prepared and sitting out there tapping my feet like, I'm ready anytime you need me. I am so here for you. And that I think is not as, you have, like acting is so personal and about kind of what you offer and the more you know what you're bringing to the table the better your auditions will be because you're going to bring something different than anyone else and I think for me I might have been trying I, I don't think I was quite aware of that I think I was trying to just do it right and there's not really a right there are obviously standards of things that you need to know and etiquette but in terms of actual performing and auditioning I think you have to know what you offer and then just do that 
And if they like it, great. And if they don't, you know you did a good job, and then you're done with it. Do you feel like this is potentially a huge year for you? Do you think about that at all? Do you think about, okay, you're visible on a network show now. Do you think about what may lie ahead? Or do you just are you just trying to sort of, I, I don't want to say just enjoy the moment, because of course you're doing that as well, but is there a part of you thinking, how can I, how can I leverage this into the next step? How can I take that next step to really go further? I definitely think about how I can go, like, take it into doing something further. And I think any, any actor that is, because that's the nature of the business, even, you know, you hear that even people who are super successful, like name known actors, they still, when they finish a job, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? So it's, it's, I think that's definitely the nature of the business. I don't, I definitely don't think about it in terms of this quote unquote could be a huge year for me. And I think that's because of what I've been through is that I'm, I'm, I'm quietly skeptical, but, uh, excited about what's happening, but I don't ever allow myself to get over the moon excited about things, which maybe that's a sad way to live, but at least in terms of acting and jobs, I, I like to take things as little compliments like, okay, that's really nice that they gave me this chance on the show. And I, I feel very, uh, lucky for the opportunity, but I'm not going to take it further than that in my mind. I'm just going to try and focus on whatever the next step is just because I think I don't want to set myself up to think it's something that it's not, or, oh, yeah, it's like, I think you need to be realistic because things change and, and morph and fall through and become awesome. And like things just happen so unexpectedly that counting any, any chickens at all is dangerous. I think. Caitlin, tell me about your worst audition experience. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. I think I try to kind of banish them from my mind because they otherwise you just kind of want to crawl under your bed and never come out. Uh, I have one. I have one. I remember that it wasn't so much. It was kind of the entire experience that was bad and not not just what I had done, which definitely was part of it. But it was this. It was one of those auditions I, I assume most actors have been through, where they're kind of, you know, like you get there before you walk in, you're like, maybe I should leave. Maybe this isn't a good idea. I don't know what this is. And it's just kind of in maybe like a shadier place. This one was in a like one of those little strip mall things. And you know, I kept looking at the address, thinking like, is this audition? And I think it was for some some short film, some independent short film, and. I hesitated and I went in and then it is the whole thing. It just, everything I was like, this isn't, this is, I don't, this is not where I should be. I should be, so I should, I should go. I just had a bad feeling. And, um, all the actors in the waiting room were kind of like half naked. I mean, that's fine. I guess but I, you know, I definitely felt like I did not fit in with what was happening. And, uh, and like some of them, I, it just seemed, I, I don't know. I, I just, it was, it was an odd Caring, I go to the room and it smells like, like, old food in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> and the people were—it just seemed like they'd never run an audition before, but they were trying really hard to look like they had. So I immediately was uncomfortable because I was just like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to be here. I don't know what this is." And they were very nice, but it just—it was a, like they were. I, I don't remember what they asked me to do, but it was just one of those things where they're like, "Okay, now can you dance for us?" And I was like, "What? I don't want." What? I mean, like I'm horribly coordinated. And 
So that I remember then I had to do that and feeling like, you know, you get that voice in the back of your head where it's like, what is your life right now? What is your life? And um, <laughs> the, the, the worst part about it was uh, after all of that, I remember it ended, I thanked them and I was pretty much running out of there. I was like, oh my God, get me out of here. And I'm running to my car and I go down the stairs and then all of a sudden I hear someone go, okay, run! And I look up and the assistant was out on the balcony, kind of like Juliet style, screaming to me. And she's like, they want you to come back in the room. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no. And it had already it'd been so embarrassing. And I had felt, you know, cause I was uncomfortable if I knew I was doing a bad job. I was just the whole thing. And I, I again, considered just running, just being like, no, just go, just go. But they had my head shot. So I was like, oh, I can't just anonymously run away because they'll be like, wow, that Caitlin girl ran away. So I went back in there and then the woman, that's a good lesson for all you people who think it's hilarious to write things on your resume, uh, like me, I wrote that I do, like one of my special skills was a raccoon impression, which is <laughs> true. <laughs> but it's one of those things that goes kind of a, like a little sketch bit thing I used to do. And so I just put, it's just there. It's like kind of a funny joke and like a, you know, we can talk about it, but they called me back in and said, we want to see your raccoon impression. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, I think I want to die right now. Just because there are certain circumstances where that would be fun to do, but because of everything that had already happened, this was not fun. This was mortifying. And I felt like, like a like a show pony it just it was one of those things i was like i i i can't i want to peel off all my skin and i want to wear it as a cape and fly away and so i got on a chair and did it for them i didn't know what else to do but it's one of those things like the saddest clown in the world where i did it but it was like i hate myself (laughs) i hate my life this is horrible i have a degree in theater and i'm on a chair in a strip mall behaving like a raccoon. I need a new career. <laughs> so that, I think, was one of those, like, out-of-body moments. And, like, this is... I wish I could go back and tell my 19-year-old self, this is going to be in your future if you choose to be an actor. <laughs> what but was I the purpose it. of having you do the do the raccoon? Were they, Was there a part for a raccoon impression? No. that's not, They were the kind of people... It was merely for their entertainment. And they were delighted. I think it was like the power that they had actors in there that they could ask to do things. You know, they really, honestly, I don't think they they were familiar with audition things. And, you know, I'd like to say that I had some dignity and was like, no, thank you, and walked out. But I just, you get in those scenarios and you're used to kind of the power, you know, like there you do what they say. And I just did it. And I was one of those things. I was like, I don't know who I am. <laughs> what is happening? But yeah, so that 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 happened. That's in my life. Yep. Yep, that is part of your history. Yes. Well, your Twitter yeah. bio tells me that you are a connoisseur of dinosaur trivia. So give <laughs> me before we go your favorite dinosaur-related fact. Ooh, ooh, there's so many. Um, well, I'll go with the the one that I think most it's more familiar now, and it's all like most scientific things it's always changing because they're always discovering things but the uh my favorite one because it's common dinosaur the brontosaurus was actually misclassified but now they're discovering this may not be true so it's, it's it used to be my favorite fact now it's kind of up for debate again 
But um, a paleontologist named Nathaniel Marsh found a new dinosaur, so he thought, called the Brontosaurus. And then that was like in the 1870s, I think. And then later uh, they discovered that he put the wrong head bone or neck bone, I forget, but it was from a different dinosaur on it. And so it actually was a dinosaur that had already been discovered called the Apatosaurus. And so really the Brontosaurus was just in this classification. It was an Apatosaurus. But then they just came out with the thing, I think, last year saying that, no, no, really, the Brontosaurus is real. So, except for debate. <laughs> well, there you go. I feel more educated now. It used to be I could just say, tell people that it's a brontosaurus is actually a conosaurus. But now there's new information that perhaps it is. It's, it's debatable. People like to, well, not people, but, you know, paleontologists like to get all heated about it. And it's very fun. <laughs> You've been listening to Caitlin Larimore. Give her a follow on Twitter at Dinosaur Disco. And check her out on NBC's Heartbeat Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much for having me.